Well, here we are. Episode 99C. Was supposed to be 100, but technical difficulties have cursed this podcast on more than one occasion, and we lost two and a half hours of our record talking rubbish to try and get a funny cold open, so we are relegated to a Morning Woods, a 99C uh, it's Tim here from Sporting Woods. We are less than one week away from professional sport in this country. Hasn't it felt like the longest eight weeks of everyone's entire lives? And I'm only looking at it from a sports perspective. I'm not even looking at it from a, you know, work and people losing their jobs and all that sort of stuff. It's been a long eight weeks. And for the sport of rugby league, there's been a lot of hurdles that have had to have been jumped over just to even have a chance to get to this magical May 28 deadline. But Mr. Rugby League, Pete Volandis, appears to have pulled it off and the NRL will begin Thursday, May 28. Now, the past eight weeks has certainly gone through, I mean, relatively unscathed. Not, nothing important has really happened over the last eight weeks, so this one will be fairly short. Uh, sarcasm. The players have, well, no, it's not just the players, a lot of people. In fact, just about every important figure in the game has had their opportunities to make things as difficult as humanly possible uh, to ensure that this May 28 doesn't go ahead. And I get it. Mr. Rugby League came out and said, and look, he shot his shot and kudos to him because at least he had the guts to continue. Now, People who may not follow horse racing should know that Mr. Rugby League is also Mr. Racing New South Wales. And there's one industry that's continued throughout this, it's horse racing. So he's had a he's got a his own biased view of the fact that if horse racing can do it, why can't rugby league? Because essentially jockeys are just as close as anyone else and all the people involved are still doing similar things and trainers and, you know, track workers and strappers and all that sort of gear. So, and he's actually come out and said that the game shouldn't have been shut down entirely. Well, that's probably a bit extreme, but um, the game certainly is at less of a risk now than it was at the start of the season. So that's, that's good from a health perspective, maybe not from a financial perspective, but we have seen Every major stakeholder in the game have their moment to bring this game or bring this date to a grinding halt and the competition to a grinding halt. So let's start with the players because there's been a couple of controversies. Nathan Cleary, even though he has lied on multiple occasions regarding the TikTok, I think in a lot of people's mind he is the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, And if you don't understand that reference, then... I can't help you on that one. The fact that he had the audacity and the BDE to do what he did, knowing 
that the date had already been set, all the strict measures were in place, that the players' union um, had agreed to those conditions, which is something you'll hear a lot of me saying in the next 15 minutes. And for him to do what he did, I mean, is just idiotic. Being the coach's son, um, there was, you know, talk that the coach did know who, did know what had happened and tried to uh, uh, cover it up for use of a better phrase. Um, you know, all those sorts of layers, but seriously, like everyone is affected by this, not just rugby league players, not just professional athletes, not just administrators, all that sort of gear. So, you know, we're trying to do our best and adhere to these restrictions as well. What, why can't a, a player of Nathan Cleary's importance to the team just do it for eight weeks like the rest of us. Well, you know, he's he's young, rich, 21-year-old, good-looking cat, the king of Penrith. I mean, I, I don't know if I, – I, I don't want to go as far to say I don't blame him, but, like, come on. He's the world heavyweight champion now. So, well, I don't know what else um, to say about that. But he was stupid. I mean, I'm, let's let's not go too crazy. It was stupid, but he's the world heavyweight champion. Um Let's get to the my favorite part of the entire eight weeks off is the culture catch-up that occurred um, in northern New South Wales with, or mid-north coast, I should say, between, oh, including Josh Adokar and Latrell Mitchell at all. Um, so, so photos came out and video and whatever came out of um, their... Adokar, Luttrell, and multiple other people are not adhering to the very strict uh, lockdown laws and rules and regulations um, out shooting uh, illegal firearms and dirt biking and, you know, all that sort of gear, not registered, you know, unsafe, blah, 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 this and that. Well, you know, I'm pushing all that aside. They came out, once it got out in the media, it came out, and they both posted something on their social medias. And basically, well, first of all, they didn't apologize for what they did. Um, they said, you know, oh, my friend was going through a hard time and we thought we'd get them attached through to culture. And I'm not going to make this a cultural thing and that's not what this is about. This is about everyone struggling. But we're not going out and doing things that we're not supposed to do. Um, I've personally struggled with this um, lockdown. I've had three weeks of annual leave that I was unable to count cancel. So I've literally sat at home for three weeks and done absolutely nothing. Do you think I want to be in that situation? Do you think I want to go out and, and do stuff even though I know I'm not supposed to? Of course I do. But that's the situation at hand here. So it wasn't necessarily what specifically they were doing. It was the fact that they were just not adhering to the rules and regulations, not only given to them by the federal government and medical experts, but also the NRL, because they knew that any slip-ups like this could potentially damage that May 28 and, and put the season in jeopardy. You know, major stakeholders may look at that, those situations and go, well, actually, we can't trust these people and then that it becomes a political nuclear bomb per se, and that's what it that's what it is for me. They sure they they are thinking about their mate, and that's fine. And if they that's what they want to use to explain this situation, then whatever. But they're not thinking about the receptionist that's been laid off at Souths and Melbourne. They're not thinking about the physio that's on a freelance contract with 
you know, each side. They're not thinking about the security guard that looks after them inside the stadium. Um, that's lost his job. That keeps them safe on a regular basis. So they're not thinking about all these things. And that's what a lot of people are really struggling with is why is sport giving this pedestal to try and get back as soon as possible where other injuries, industries are struggling? Both the NRL, the AFL, and a lot of these big sports, they employ so many people in this country. And that's the whole point. And a lot of people don't like the argument of health versus money and putting um, a dollar on a person's life. And that's something that we spoke about in the actual recording of the 100th episode. But there's got to be a point, and we're basically there, where infection rates are so low that we can afford to to get out there and do these things. Because if it wasn't safe, the health people, medical professionals wouldn't allow it to happen in the first place. The alternative is somewhere like what's happening in America, where Trump is foregoing all medical advice and just saying, we are open. That's the alternative. And and we are so lucky to be in this country that we, first of all, shut it down early. And second of all, adhering to the medical advice as a whole and, quote, flattening the curve. So that's they wouldn't have done it if it was even remotely unsafe. And there's always going to be risks. And that was something we spoke about, which I'll get to later on. But the Latrell Addo Car Mitchell wasn't the Latrell Addo Car Mitchell. <laughs> the Latrell Mitchell Josh Addo Car situation for me wasn't necessarily about the culture catch up, you know, and that's become a little little feature uh, for a lot of people in this country. Um, but it was the fact that they couldn't grasp the severity of their actions. And that's something that a lot of people don't like about rugby league and about rugby league players. They only think for themselves. They're not concerned about any other, anyone else but themselves. They get away with everything, blah, 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 this and that. So that's, that's kind of the, the, um, you know, the situation there. I, I just don't like what they're doing or didn't like what they were doing. And the reasons that they gave don't justify doing it in the first place, particularly given what's at stake overall. So I think hindsight, they would have first of all come up with a better excuse than anything else. I think they still would have done it. And that's, that's a whole other story, but we're not going to get into that because that leads us into a whole lot of cultural and, uh, controversial issues that I don't really know too much about. So we'll leave that one there. But the one thing I do know a lot about is the controversies regarding um, friend of the show, Bryce Cartwright, Martin Tapau, and three Canberra players who refused to get vaccinations. So the NRL went to the players' union and said, hey, when we get back together, everyone needs to get flu shots. But okay. Some people might be saying, what does a flu shot have to do with coronavirus? There's no vaccine for coronavirus. There's you know nothing we can do about coronavirus, blah, 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 this and that. The fact is, if someone comes down with flu-like symptoms, they're going to be quarantined immediately. So it doesn't matter if it's influenza or the, the viral strains that are within this year's flu shot or coronavirus. If you display flu-like symptoms, you will be quarantined and taken away. So a way to mitigate that risk, and this is the 
this is what the theme should be for everyone in this country moving forward, risk mitigation. To mitigate the risk of people developing flu-like symptoms is to get the flu shot. Plain and simple. The players' union agreed to these conditions that were set to them. Then all of a sudden, a frightening number of players have come out in protest, protest of vaccinations. And most, and the spokesperson who doesn't actually want to speak, funnily enough, is Bryce Cartwright. So the Queensland government has taken a harder stance than New South Wales and ACT on this. If you don't have the flu jab, you are not going to play in Queensland, straight up. So uh, um, Brian Kelly and Bryce Cartwright, and there was one other player, oh, Nathan Peets, that's right. They both, the, all three of them said, no, I'm not getting a vaccine. All the backlash came out. Nathan Peets quickly got on the back foot and said, well, hey, actually, the reason I'm not I chose not to get it was because, you know, I had a bad reaction when I was at South in twenty twelve and I missed some time, blah, 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 blah. There is a very small percentage of people that have allergic reactions to vaccines. I am one of those people. I was getting vaccines for severe allergies um as a young fella. And I or I went into near anaphylaxis with when my dose got increased. So I've seen it, but I'm also a medical scientist. I know in this world, there's only one or two things that are better for your body than vaccinations, and that's water, meat, and vegetables, and even meat probably not as important as vaccines. So their argument is just... It's so ridiculous, and being in the medical science field, I'm not even going to go to get into that because it's just not... I just think if you're listening to this podcast and you're not into vaccinations, then this is the wrong podcast for you, and that's fine. I get it. But we had Bryce Cartwright and Nathan Peets, you know, Nathan Peets got it. Brian Kelly realized that once he knew he wasn't going to get paid if he didn't get the flu shot... Uh, got it very quickly. And, you know, standing up for your beliefs, if you want to stand up for your beliefs, that's you're totally fine. And that's the beauty of a country like Australia. You are free to do so. But if you don't comply to the rules that your players' union, your union has agreed upon, I don't know what else I can tell you. You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's just you. If my work came to me and said, hey, you've got to get the flu shot, otherwise you're not getting paid, it wouldn't matter if I was anti-vaccinations. It's a condition of my workplace agreement. It's not an ethical issue. It's a, you do this, or you can go be Pete Evans. You can go be, you know, an Instagram person who wants to spread all this bullshit about anti-vaccinations and autism and all that sort of gear or whatever you believe in. And the argument that Bryce Cartwright has is that he doesn't want to put, you know, stuff like this into his body. I've already listed the things that are better than vaccines. You think Bryce Cartwright doesn't go out and have 45 schooners and he's coked up on his mind and has multiple tattoos? All of those things are worse for his body than vaccines. So his argument is just so wrong. It's disgusting. He just doesn't get it. 
and the Queensland government finally relented and he got an exemption from the chief medical officer um, allowing to play. And he came up with the excuse of that he had a bad reaction as well, which was ironically similar to Nathan Peets. And again, I don't... I believe that people have bad reactions to vaccines. There are a small percentage of people that have it. But why didn't you say it at the start? Instead, he lent on the anti-vaccination bandwagon that is disgustingly large, not only in this country, but specifically heightened in the rugby league community. And one of those people that shouldn't have um, this opinion is Martin Tapao. Now, he is Samoan, and late last year there was an outbreak of measles in Samoa. There's low, vac- certain, low vaccination rates in the country, and like something like 70 kids under 15 died. You know, f- lots, 500 people um, impacted, I think the numbers were. Now, that seems small, and it is, but in a country like Samoa that only has a couple of hundred thousand people, that's quite a significant number for a disease that's been eradicated by vaccines. Martin Tapao was one of the forefront people in this country to generate donations. He even flew up, oh, he didn't fly the plane, but he even got a plane flown over full of, you know, medical supplies and, and all other supplies and, you know, kids' toys and clothes and all this stuff. And he did such great work for that community to, to you know, come back from such a debilitating time in their country's history, he firsthand saw the impacts of not vaccinating as a whole. He was there. He saw it. He advocated for, you know, help for this country. And he doesn't want to get vaccinated for a flu shot here. Are you shitting me? But then he has flipped it, and this is genius from him because he, he look, he's got a very good social media. If you follow him on Instagram, uh, he's you know he's he's on point with his social media. He gets a lot of endorsements and and understands the business of that side of football, and that, and all power to him because you know you've only got a short window to make as much money as humanly possible. He had the business savvy, I'm not even going to say health because it's not health, it's business, to get an article written about him and his personal struggle as to whether or not he should get the vaccine because it's not his personal belief, but he's a fucking hero because he's going against what he believes to make the game safer. I mean, are you fucking serious? Are you off your fucking head? He's a, he's a hero, is he? What about all the frontline workers that have to put up with the shit every single day? What about, you know, people that have lost hundreds of thousands of people that have lost their jobs and doing it tough at this moment, but he's putting himself on a pedestal because he's standing up for what he believes in. But at the same time, he's, you know, going against it for the betterment of the game. I mean, seriously, these people just don't get it. And it's from people that I've spoken to behind the scenes and like, I'm not going to claim that I have a multitude of sources, but the number of silent protesters or people's people whose names weren't out in the media for it are frightening. 
a lot of these players, a lot of Polynesian players, a lot of Samoans who saw the effects that it had on their country and still refusing it for whatever reason. It's terrifying. Terrifying. And they should be held accountable. But people like Martin Tapao have, you know, flipped it. And good for him to flip it and make it in his favour. But it should be noted that if there was... If there wasn't the threat of no pay, he wouldn't have the flu shot. Let's let's not mince that around either. So he can claim that he's a hero all in once, but he relented to the system. And it's a system that his union agreed upon. They're the playing conditions or the conditions of employment. It's not it's it's that simple. But they had to make it about themselves. You know, there's much more important things going on than whether or not you have read, you think you've done your research. And anyone who says that they've done their research should be pro-vaccinations, straight up. And that's from a medical scientist you're listening to right now. I work in the industry. So that's enough about all the player controversies. I'm sure there's a million others. I mean, the the Cody Walker kick to the head, um, black mouth thing. I mean, that that's like, not even important considering all things considered over the last eight weeks. Let's get to Mr. Rugby League shaking things up as well, not only from an administrative point of view, but from an actual football perspective. There's been two significant rule changes or changes to the way the game is going to be played. And that has brought with itself a lot of controversy as well. So the the first part of it is going back to one referee. Now, the reasons are twofold, and let's, you know, let's pull the curtain back on it. There's a lot of talk, and Mr. Rugby League, Peter Volandis, wants a fast-flowing game, and so do a lot of people. And one thing this quarantine or, or lockdown has shown us is that when you go back and watch the old games, when you go back and watch early 2000s games, and everyone knows who listens to this podcast, knows that I'm biased and I have a biased opinion of this, but Benji Marshall brought wrestling into the game because how could a team of 19-year-olds at 150 to 1 halfway through the season end up winning the competition? Well, it's simple. They won the play the ball, quick play the balls. And then what happened the following year? The wrestle came in. Melbourne started their, you know, 15-year dynasty. That's not a coincidence. And people might think that's biased, and that's fine. But that is my opinion. They changed the game. They changed the game. If Benji Marshall didn't do what he did, I guarantee you there's no extra wrestling in this game. And so they went to the overcorrection of allowing players to slow the play of the ball down because it was virtually impossible, the, f- the speed that was generated by that Tigers team. And it wasn't just the Tigers. The Cowboys were fantastic at it as well, particularly in 2004 when they had that run and got dudded in the semifinal against the Roosters. And that 2005 season, you know, you're Matty Bowens, you're Matt Sings, so quick out of dummy half. And then all of a sudden, bam, it slowed down to a grinding halt. And we've got the game that we have today. So that's, that's his underlying, that's his undertones to these rule changes. And I think a lot of people are smart enough to pick up on that. So he's wanted to go back to one referee. 
Okay. And he's using the line of argument of risk mitigation, basically saying it's a public health thing. We have less people on the field, less chance of contracting, less you know, officials around each each game, I get it. And that's fine. And to a point, it makes sense. But let's, for someone who's such a straight shooter, let's just say what it is. And that's kind of what he's done with the second rule change, which we'll get to in a second. The NRL referees have come out and basically, <clears throat> and, you know, fair fair play to them because they're, they're being treated like a 16th team. And a lot of people... The same people that supported the referees being treated like a 16th team are now going back on that and saying, "Well, they they shouldn't be invested as part of the as much as the game as the players and blah blah blah." So you know, your Gus Goulds, your Brayton Astors, all those people that just have no idea what they said two and a half years ago. So they or, or can't even admit that they were wrong at the time. So. The refs had come out and said, well, we, we don't agree to these conditions. You know, this wasn't collectively bargained, blah, 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 this and that. Peter Landers, I think, will take a hard stance. Like, if you don't agree to it, that's fine. Take us to high court. Do all that sort of stuff. We'll get the people from Intrust Super Cup or the Canterbury Cup, you know, the reserve grades. They'll, they'll do it. And a lot of people forget that two referees has only been in for 11 years. And it's only in the NRL. It's not even at international level. It's not at Super League level. It's not at reserve grade level. It's not at junior level. The only rugby league that has two referees is the NRL, the top tier competition. So that was, again, another argument in Volandis's favor. You, then you've got the obvious ones of like one person interpreting the game instead of two. And, you know, you have those situations where you can hear the pocket referee yell penalty, 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 and the ref still doesn't give a penalty. You know, the the guy on the mark, the ref on the mark doesn't give away a penalty and stuff like that. And you don't have your quote six again rule and all that sort of stuff. And that was probably a trigger for what's happened. And I think you know, coronavirus has spread this up. I think this would have been spoken about at the end of this season, going back to one referee. But Landis has, you know, hit hit the go button on it now um, that, that we've had the break and trying to, trying to do that now, which is fine, whatever. But here's the, here's the kicker for these rule changes. The new six again rule, again, trying to trying to get the game to be more free-flowing and help out the teams that win the ruck, the attacking team that wins the ruck. If a penalty, if there's an infringement in within the ruck, um, there won't be, it won't be given as a penalty, it will be given as a six again. There's, there's a lot of tinkering with the rules because what happens if it's you know, inside the attacking 20 and the teams want to go for a penalty shot, which they still can. So there's still a little bit of, little bit of tinkering there. <clears throat> but overall, I think it's a good rule. It's going to stop your Melbournes, your Broncos, um, you know, those teams that just want to sit on the players, um, particularly in the attacking 20, because they will just keep getting penalized. If they want to uh, you know, give away a penalty, they'll just have to keep tackling. If they want to give, if they want to tackle for 20 tackles in a row without a break, that's that's fine. They can do that. Um, keep giving away those penalties. I'm still an advocate for if you give away a penalty in the ruck within 
20 metres, you sit out the back until there's a change of possession, until your team gets the ball back, whether or not that's, you know, the opposition scores a try or they give an error or they kick a penalty, all that sort of stuff. I think that's also a rule that they could implement down the line. But I really, really like this rule. The problem is the way the game will be played will be changed so significantly to the first two weeks of this competition that I'm of the view that if this rule gets implemented, which it will, every team should start on zero. And I'm a Tigers fan. I'm not a Roosters fan. You know, Uncle Nick's been calling for this for ages, all that sort of stuff. You know, we're ninth. I think it's going to hinder teams like the Tigers, this rule, anyway. So there's no bias here. The way the game will be played with the introduction of this rule will change significantly and significantly enough that it will be different to the first two weeks of this competition. So I am of the view that we need to start back at zero. What does that mean for those other two games? I don't know. And and this is kind of don't complain. This is one of the mantras I have particularly you know, in my work life, don't complain about something if you don't have an answer to the situation or the issue. Because if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. That's a big, big sort of mantra I have in my work life. So, oh, but I don't know. I, I don't know what you do with those first two games. Because it, they're, yeah, it's, it's a tough one and I understand that. But I, I just think the shift that this rule's going to, going to make is is huge. Um, when we did the recording, Luke questioned, you know, what teams will this benefit and what teams will it not? It, it will actually benefit everyone in an attacking sense. I don't, I don't think that's a question. And, and going back and watching those games, the, you know, the retro round games and all that sort of stuff, I think has exacerbated the need for the game to change. And another thing that they will bring in if it's not next season it'll be the season after is lowering lowering the interchange uh to six from eight and i was surprised that that wasn't part of these rule changes because if you make this rule if you make the six again rule for ruck infringements you may as well lower the interchange at the same time and that would make more of an argument to reset the competition as a whole so that that's kind of what i would have done uh, if I was Mr. Rugby League, but I probably would have waited till the end of the season, given the monstrosity that's occurred, um, not only in sport, but across the world. So I probably would have left it, but I can understand what he's doing. He's trying to get on the front foot and say, this is what we're doing. And this is why he's been put in this position, racing New South Wales. And again, if you're not huge in horse racing, there's a lot of backstory as to why he is the man to be brought in. Racing New South Wales is almost taking over uh, Victorian racing at the moment. With the way that they've marketed their autumn carnival, they've come up with new innovative ways to to get people involved in in horse racing in New South Wales. You've got you know the the country championships, the autumn carnivals being revamped, lots more prize money being put in the Everest, that whole new concept of of conglomerates owning horses in the race and stuff like that is it's revolutionary and it's changed the sport in that state to compete with Victorian racing, which is something no one would could ever have possibly thought about. So 
he's a visionary. And that's why he's being bought in. He's very business savvy. He understands that he's a rugby league guy, loves his rugby league, as we all know. And he's an innovator. He wants the game to, you know, improve. And and that's why he's being bought in. And so his ideas are great. I, I agree with just about everything that's come out of his mouth since he's taken over from the competition. And I think a lot of um, fans would appreciate them the rule changes and stuff like that. It's hard to convince people now, given what, given what we're facing. But overall, I think it's going to be of a net benefit for the competition as a whole. For the teams that are at disadvantages, probably the teams that can't tackle, like your Tigers, your Newcastle, your Warriors. It's not necessarily going to affect the attack of teams. It's certainly going to affect the defense of other teams. So I think. Everyone's like, oh, it's an anti-Melbourne rule. And yeah, yeah, it, it is, but it's also an anti-wrestling rule. Everyone wrestles. Let's let's be perfectly clear. But they've got, if, if you've been taught how to wrestle properly, you'll be able to know how to put players on the ground in a way that will always give you an advantage in the ruck. So that's where it, it will still play a part. But I think the notion of trying not to get wrestling coaches into the game is something that's going to be positive as well. And down the line, those sorts of techniques will be anecdotal more than anything else. So, yeah, I think this six again rule has, while it's going to be great and open up the game and make it more entertaining, it will change. And that's why I think we should reset at zero for all teams. Now, one thing that hasn't been spoken about enough, even though it has been spoken about a lot, is the New Zealand Warriors and what they're doing to ensure this competition continues uh, this year. So the backstory is the the TV rights are set up that if there are not eight games a week, the TV uh, stations, Channel 9 and Fox, do not have to pay for those weeks of football played. And people were kind of shocked at that. But it, again, it's risk mitigation for the competition. What happens if, you know, something catastrophic happens, you know, and the, the season gets shut down like it has, that that um, companies like Channel 9 and Mr. Murdoch don't have to continue to pay all this money for no product. So that that's kind of where it comes in. And it's not just the NRL, it's the AFL and it's the soccer and all that sort of stuff. Like, it's not just an NRL problem, but it's been made to be an NRL problem because the way that Volandis has been on the front foot regarding these issues and getting the competition back. Whereas Gil McLaughlin in the AFL has basically played a safer game where he said, right, I'll watch what Volandis does and I'll take bits of what I like about what he's doing and what bits that I don't like about what he's doing and then I'll make a statement. Whereas Volandis has been on the front foot the whole time shooting his shot, trying to get this sorted. And I think Rugby League had to do that. AFL didn't necessarily have to do that. They're in a bit more of a financial positive situation than Rugby League. So that's why that's why we, we've seen two different approaches to um, how they go about returning their uh, respective sports. But what the Warriors are doing um, and coming over and sacrificing, you know, their family life and, and their way of life for, for such an extended period of time is the ultimate sacrifice f- for the betterment of the game. It's not Martin Tapao getting a flu shot against his beliefs. It's the Warriors changing their whole livelihood, their whole lifestyle, um, just for the betterment of this game. So 
they should be highly applauded for what they're doing. And in my opinion, they should be everyone's second favorite team forever now. What they're doing to ensure that the sport gets back at May 28 and ensure it comes back at all this season is, is you know, is it's being understated by the common fans. So I really encourage everyone to um, support the Warriors however way they can, even just by watching their games and, and giving them shout-outs on Twitter or, or socials or, you know, just sending a thank you message to them because that's how important this is. Uh, that's how important their sacrifice is to the game. There's been a couple of backlashes from from people, most notably Sam Groth, Groth a pro- former professional tennis player, essentially saying like, oh, no, they're being taken away from their families for three months. How terrible. I did that my entire career. And I get that. I understand that. But rugby league players don't sign up to play rugby league for that lifestyle. You sign up to play professional tennis knowing that you're going to be away for 300 days out of a year. Um, rugby league players don't sign up to be away from their families for that whole time. So that that's where that argument gets thrown out the door. The other problem that's happening with the Warriors at the moment is the fact that everyone's getting injured and significant injuries. And the whole point of coming over early was to, you know, get ease back into training and then have the contact so that by the time May 28 rolls around, everyone's good to go. Again, it's a risk mitigation. We don't want to have all these injuries after they've had a preseason and, you know, the the intensity lifts, they've had two games and then it all of a sudden falls off a cliff and then you've got to climb up that cliff in a week and a half to, to get ready. So it was, you know, it was a slow climb, which was a smart thing to do. But it's come at a cost for the Warriors. And I think Leeson Armel's done his peck. Adam Kieran's done his knee. Jazz Tavunga's done his knee. So I don't think they're ACLs, but they're significant enough where they're going to um, miss miss time. And, and that changes their side immensely. I can't remember the exact number of how many people have come over. But they're big-name players. Kieran's kind of a fringe guy, but he's played NRL. Armel, he's their... Key, key forward signing for the year. Uh, Jazz Tavanga, he brings a lot of energy off the bench particularly. So they're impact players. They're, they're, they're going to be huge losses for the team that's already under all these hurdles and all these you know ways to bring them down and, and, and go against them. And to have this is just heartbreaking. And just about the only thing I've ever liked to come out of Paul Gallant's mouth was the fact that he said he would be open to a comeback and potentially helping out the Warriors uh, fill injury spots and blah, blah, blah. Now, he's not the only one. I think Sam Thiday threw his hand up to play 10 minutes and, and Billy Slater didn't say no, but didn't also say yes. So there's a notion that why that the Warriors are doing so much just to keep this competition alive. Why can't they be helped out in ways like this? I personally think the NRL should be doing whatever they can to help the Warriors field a competitive team. Not in an on-the-take way and saying, right, we're going to let you know you pay for free, play for free and you know, you can sign anyone you like and blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that they should be able to be given incentives or given sort of relaxed laws around signing players and things like that in order to help them out. What they're doing is so significant. Again, it just 
they need help. And when they've had injuries like this go down, they're doing so much for everyone else, they're going to get lost in the, you know, the whole fiasco because people just assume that, oh, yeah, no, the Warriors are good to go. Well, they're not. They're, they're, they've made a huge sacrifice. So whether or not it's former players, there's, you know, notions out there being um, thrown out by a couple of coaches and administrators saying, you know, we should get all the reserve grade people and pull them in and, and make them play against each other just so that there's, if there are, if there is a team like the Warriors that are miss that are going to miss a lot of players due to injury and all that sort of stuff and players playing out of position, like we should be able to call upon reserve grade players or, or at least a pool of players um, and, and just pay them match fees or pay, I don't, I don't know. And that's, that's kind of, where the problem lies is how we hash that out because then if it happens to the Warriors, you know Wayne, Uncle Wayne's going to be all up in arms saying, well, Warriors get this, why don't we get this, and blah, 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 this and that. But I think the NRL has a duty to make sure that they further acknowledge and help out the Warriors um, given the significant sacrifice they're making. So one of the issue, one of the things that it won't happen this year that I really like is to have Magic Round in Auckland. Um, much better than the Nines because they're actual games of footy that'll count for points. I mean, Anastasia Palaszczuk won't like that and this is an election year and we're not even going to go into the politics that are surrounding uh, this whole fiasco, but I think it's a great idea because we can then have an opportunity to show our appreciation to the Warriors by going over. I know there would be a lot of fans that would agree with that. The only reason why May 28 exists is because of what the Warriors are doing. Let's never forget that. So I'd love to go over and do a magic round in Auckland, given everything that's happened at the moment. So um, maybe that might happen. Maybe it won't, but definitely everyone needs to try and get around the Warriors. Um, more than they would usually. So they're going to be my second team, at least for this year. And the last kind of thing, oh, well, two more things. God, it's been 42 minutes. Um, the schedule has been released. And, and here's another uh, aspect of, you know, a major stakeholder trying to bring the game down before it even gets back on its feet. Um, so the draw has been released and there's been a lot of controversy over the schedule. And I don't... I don't know why I don't get it. So, the games had no money, right? Eight games are required for the TV stations to pay the competition, pay the players, pay the administrators, pay this, you know, security, pay all the people that are involved in rugby league and not just the teams, the ground staff, all that sort of gear that rely on games being played for their livelihoods. And then you've got people like Channel 9 just saying, well, we're better without Rugby League and, and, you know, we don't need Rugby League to survive. Well, the only thing that's keeping Channel 9 afloat these days was Alan Jones. He's gone. Um, Maths and Rugby League. That's it. And maybe Lego Masters if they make that more than a three-week competition. So I don't understand that line of thinking either. But anyway, I digress. The schedule's come out and Uncle Nick from the Roosters isn't happy because we have to play all the top teams and other teams like the Bulldogs or whoever don't have to play all the top teams like our schedule. Well, there's a very simple 
reason for that. The NRL needs people to watch the games. They can't generate sales through ticket tickets and merch and game day and concessions and all of that. So they need the games to be watched at home. And that's why it's blockbuster heavy. And that's the NRL's marketing have come out and said it's blockbuster heavy. No one wants to see Roosters versus Gold Coast twice because Channel 9 and Fox can then go to advertisers and say, hey, look at this lineup that they've got. They've got the Roosters and the Storm playing twice. They've got you know, the Cowboys and, and the Broncos playing twice. They've got the Broncos and the Storm playing twice. Big marquee matchups that they can go to advertisers and say, hey, give us money. We can guarantee that we're going to have super high crowd, uh, super high viewer numbers, which will generate more revenue for your company moving forward. That It's as simple as that. It's not an anti-Roosters draw. It's not an anti-Broncos draw. It's not an anti-Storm draw to try and get, you know, underdog teams. It's plain and simple. The finger thing means the taxes. Trying to generate as much advertisement money for Channel 9 and Fox so that they can put money back into the game and not have it run at too much of a loss. Simple as that. There's nothing else that needs to be read into it, saying there's conspiracies over the roosters like Uncle Nick is suggesting. I mean, they've won the previous two competitions and he thinks that the competition's against them. I mean, seriously. It's all about money generation. And it does impact the teams like the Roosters and the Storm and the Broncos. But overall, you still, to win the competition, you need to prove over the course of the next 17 rounds, you've got plenty of opportunities to win games, you know, not against Melbourne and not against the Broncos and all that sort of stuff. And in the finals, you're going to have to beat them to win the competition anyway. And no draw is fair. Let me be perfectly clear on that. A fair draw is the English Premier League, where everyone plays each other twice, once at home, once away. Until we get that, there will be no fair draw. Even playing each other once every year, making it a a 15-round competition, that's not fair because you might play the Broncos and the Storm away in one year and you don't get a chance to play them at home where you think you have a significant home field advantage. So that's not even fair. The only fair way is to play a home and away game against each team. And that's not going to happen. So anyone who complains about draws needs to understand that it's never going to be fair. And so, yes, there's more undertones in this revamp schedule to generate more viewership. But that, but that's what's needed for this game to survive and thrive into the future. So anyone complaining about that doesn't understand what's at stake here. Locations for each team. So that's another thing that's kind of important as well. Why can't why can't the Tigers play at Leichhardt? Why can't Canterbury play, just play at Belmore? All that sort of stuff. Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first, risk mitigation. I've said it 45 times in this recording so far. The fact is that they can con- the less venues that they have to control, the higher the risk mitigation, the more safe they can make it because they don't have to spread thin. They can just play it at these venues, have 
proper clean downs of only seven venues instead of 20 or whatever, you know, across the season that everyone plays at. So that that makes sense. And and keeping these people in bubbles as much as possible is is important to ensure that, you know, there's no outside spread potential spread of the disease that comes into the bubble. So that that's kind of where that's at. A lot of people saying, oh, you know, my team should have been here and my team should have been there and all that sort of stuff. It would have been agreed upon by the clubs. For example, um, Newcastle, why couldn't they play out? Why couldn't like Manly and the Warriors play out in Newcastle? I'm sure there's a, a logical reason for that. I, I don't, I personally don't know. I can speculate on why the reasons are. The main one being the Korean baseball's back, the Bundesliga's back, but Australia's got an opportunity to sell this game to the world, and not only NRL, AFL as well. And they and people know that there's not going to be crowds. That that's that'll be you know the provision given out to the world, and that's fine, and that's safe, and that's that's what other countries have done as well. So that we're not breaking ground on that here in Australia. But I think they want to project the game as this high-profile sort of luxury standard. And that's why you can't play at suburban grounds like your Leichhardt and your Brookvale. Well, 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 Tim, why are they playing at Central Crest Stadium? Because it looks amazing. I mean, with the palm trees and on the water and all of that sort of stuff, it looks awesome. Of course, they're going to play. have the most teams play out of Bankwest Stadium. That's the brand new stadium. Of course, they're going to have players out there. Campbelltown, it's it's a it's away enough from um, Bankwest. It's and it's big enough, and it's a nice enough venue. I've been there a couple of times. It's not the worst venue. It's just that it's a little bit further out of the CBD of Sydney for for kind of that fan experience. But overall, it's a nice stadium. Now, if you take it, take a game to Brookvale or stuff like that, and you're American and you're like, this is the top flight league of this sport in this country, yet they're playing at a stadium that could be found in a backyard or a, or a high school of 50 people. So I think that's kind of where they're going there. So I think there's a little bit of marketing there, but also it's risk mitigation, less venues to clean up, less less people to hire to clean. You know, we can keep things more in bubbles and stuff like that. So I think that's a smart way to go about it. So that's why they're not playing it at Leichhardt and all that sort and Brookvale and Belmore and all those sorts of places. So that that's kind of the main reason there. Um, and the last thing we'll touch on about, it's been a very long solo episode here, so thank you very much if you're still listening, um, is Supercoach. Now, I'm no Supercoach expert. Benny G is our resident Supercoach expert. Um, but there has been a lot of questions from people that listen to the show about Supercoach and stuff like that, so I'll briefly touch on it. Supercoach doesn't really change too much, which is good. Uh, the, the big change is that this round we'll see five trades available, um, so you can fix up your team. And so that benefits uh, people who have been who really stuffed up the first couple of weeks. They've got an opportunity to make five trades and kind of get back on track. Um, and also, you know, if there's been injuries and stuff like that, there have been some significant injuries. Um, Michael Morgan's one that I can think of off the top of my head who's not coming back. Um, Blake Braley as well. We've seen the signature of Andrew McCulloch uh, for the Newcastle Knights. So... Well, was it Blake Braley or the other Braley? One of the whoever played the Braley that plays for Newcastle. I can't remember the name. Don't quote me on it. 
So yeah, there's opportunities there, but the trade total number will be the same, which basically works out to be two trades. If you haven't used a trade, I think you can use two trades every week and still have enough at the end. So so there's plenty of trades um, for people to use. I would strongly recommend waiting for Teamless Tuesday because there's going to be a lot of changes to teams um, given these circumstances, like the Warriors. I know the West Tigers have a lot, again, bias, but a lot of people coming back from injuries. David Fafita's out for the Broncos, so the Broncos lineup's going to change a lot. Um, Broncos are very super coach relevant, so um, don't don't waste all your trades straight up um, before Teamless Tuesday. Um, how they're going to announce squads and things like that, I'm not 100% sure on. If they, I'm, I'm assuming they'll keep the same way where they announce 21-man squads and then gets taken down to 19 the day before the match and all that sort of stuff. So I think that'll remain the same. So, um, And that's what's good. Supercoach haven't panicked and made all these sweeping wholesale changes um, for no reason. I think they've been fairly smart about it. Give the people opportunity to reset and you know what? Having the five trades at the start means that the people who gave up after round, who would usually give up after round two, who have completely stuffed their team, have given them just that little sniff to say, hey, we're keeping the trade numbers the same. So you can use five now, get back on track, and continue playing the game. So that that's a good little marketing ploy, I think, as well. That's going under the radar a little bit. So yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm sure I've left a million things out because it's been a long eight weeks. And I hope that everyone's just as excited as I am to see organized sport in this country because it's kind of the catalyst of, of, I know things have been open a little bit, but it's kind of that catalyst of being like, yeah, we're we're out of this and we're on the other side of it. And it's thanks. It's not thanks to Mr. Rugby League and Channel 9 and all all that sort of stuff. It's... It's thanks to us. It's thanks to the everyday Australian who has done the right thing and stayed home and isolated when they were supposed to and gotten tested and all that sort of stuff. That's that's kind of the main trigger for allowing you know these uh, medical professionals and politicians to be like, you know what, we can get this game underway safe. Infection rates are low in the community. If we if we do do it the right way, there should be very low risk um, to what's happening uh, to to you know shutting the competition down. And that's kind of the last thing I'll say. What happens when? Because I think I think there's still a high chance that someone, maybe not a player, but someone who's in these bubbles contracts coronavirus. What's going to happen if that if a player or person gets coronavirus? That was something that was highly debated in our recording of the 100th episode of which you will never get to hear, but the NRL would have to have a plan. And I think the plan would be simple. Quarantine that person out of the bubble. Test every person in that particular team or in that particular cluster. So like, you know, you've got the five teams playing out of Bankwest Stadium. They they all get tested and they would have a, uh, a plan in place that they would get tested urgently so that, you know, they wouldn't have to wait if it was, if someone, you know, was developing flu-like symptoms or tested positive on a Thursday that they could probably still play on Saturday if they were all negative. So like all that sort of stuff would have to be at play, but... I think it would I think what people need to remember is there's no going back from May 28. 
the game will not come to a grinding halt again unless we see this huge uptick in infections in the community and they have to do a full lockdown again, which I severely doubt will happen given the the very uh, conservative views of the politicians uh, closing, you know, keeping the borders remain closed, um, which goes against current medical advice, but that's not my decision. There's elections, state elections in November and October and all that sort of stuff that are coming into play, but the game will not stop if one person gets it. That's how it's going to be. And I don't, I would hope, and I'm sure that it has happened, that the NRL would have a plan in place if that happens. It might be as simple as quarantining that person, getting everyone tested in that bubble and those clusters, and then just moving on. If you develop flu-like symptoms, you are out whether it's a mandatory one week or, you know, you, you don't train or, or something, you, you stay in a separate hotel, there will be measures in place because they wouldn't have allowed um, the competitions to come back if these, if these measures weren't in place. But just remember, if one person gets it, they are going to move on. The show must go on. And we've seen precedents. We've seen it in the WWE and we've seen it in the UFC overseas. It's a bit more brazen over there, but Essentially, the show must go on, and I think that's important to remember. If some player or person within those bubbles gets it, the games will continue. I don't see a way that this shuts down. So that's a positive for a fan, but that's just some perspective as well for people out there. It is highly contagious and, and you know all those sorts of things. That's still a fact. But risk mitigation, they're doing absolutely everything they can to ensure that there is no... Um, community spread within the teams and things like that. So the show must go on, and and that's something that they'll they would have had plans in place unless it gets catastrophically out of control. Um, I don't see the NRL shutting down. So that's exciting. So with all that being said, round one is less than a week away. This time next week, uh, we would have watched at least one game of footy. So. It's exciting. I'm excited. I, I can't wait. It's been a long eight weeks um, to get to this point, but we are finally here. We have made it. So congratulations to everyone for, for sticking <laughs> sticking in there and holding out and, and keeping the faith, I suppose. But we remain not out on 99. Um, or we remain out on 99. We still don't have a 100th episode yet for Sporting Woods. We are hoping to get back to some sort of regular routine for weekly episodes throughout the season. Uh, We hope to have at least an episode out for um, previewing round three. Uh, I I would assume they're still we're still working out logistics. Got contractual obligations with Benny G. Um, So yeah, that that wraps it up for episode ninety nine C. A recap of everything that's happened. Between shutting down the competition and getting it restarted on May 28th, thank you very much for listening. We hope that we can uh, get another episode out to you, our 100th episode out to you soon. But it is goodbye for now.